unregulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, but hopefully you know that by now. It is good to have you with us on the program. Uh, Chris Chang is going to be joining us here in just a, a little bit. Former Top Shot champion, current Second Amendment activist, and uh, all-around good guy. We're going to be talking about a, uh, a the, the continuing uh, deterioration of uh, San Francisco and how uh, the city's chief law enforcement officer, District Attorney Chesa Budin, uh, is actually enabling violent criminals. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this case here uh, coming up in just a, a moment. But before I do, let, let's talk about some of the threats to our right to keep and bear arms that are underway. You know, you've got a, a bill in Nevada that would ban the possession of unserialized firearms. Yep, you build your own gun, legal to do so. Well, the state of Nevada wants to pass a bill, or at least Democrats in Nevada, they want to pass a bill, and they're getting close to doing it, that would require existing gun owners to turn over their home-built firearms to the state to destroy those firearms or to serialize and register them unless they want to be a criminal. Once again, we see Democrats targeting legal gun owners while they are going light on violent crime. I mean, that is the topic of today's program. But there are organizations and individuals out there who are fighting for our right to keep our arms, fighting to put the focus back on those violent criminals as opposed to uh, eradicating the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment Foundation uh, is standing firm in their defense of our right to keep and bear arms. They are filing lawsuits on a regular basis, almost a daily basis, it seems, uh, challenging gun control laws when they go into effect. Uh, and you could be a part of this effort to defend the right to keep and bear arms when you text JOIN SAF to 474747. Again, that's JOIN SAF to 474747. You can become a Second Amendment first responder, and you will get alerts about threats to your right to keep and bear arms. You will get uh, uh, informed on how you can contact your local lawmakers, your state lawmakers, so that you can not only be aware of what's going on, but that you can be an advocate for your Second Amendment rights. Again, all you got to do, text JOIN SAF to 474747 and become a Second Amendment first responder today. Now, speaking of these light on crime approaches, let's talk about what's going on in San Francisco. Police right now are looking for a 32-year-old man uh, on murder charges. And the sad thing is, they had this guy weeks ago before he ever allegedly committed these murders. And DA Chase Budin let him go. Guy's name is Robert Newt, and police believe that he is responsible for two deadly shootings this past weekend in the Potrero Hill neighborhood of San Francisco. They have three warrants out for him, two for murder, one for attempted murder. They had him in custody. Newt was arrested last month on charges of being a felon in possession of a firearm after police said they linked him to an April 4th shooting that involved dozens of spent shell casings, no injured victims, but prosecutors did not file criminal charges saying the police didn't have enough evidence. This is crazy. Uh, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, Newt's arrest a month ago stemmed from an April 4th report of shots fired on Quint Street in San Francisco. Officers recovered more than 30 shell casings, learned that a male suspect had uh, exited his SUV, fired several rounds at an unknown victim with a semi-automatic firearm. By the way, Robert Newt, uh, not a very good shot. 
if he fired 30 rounds and didn't uh, hit anybody. Both the victim and the suspect have fled the scene by the time officers arrived. Uh, they issued a crime bulletin to all San Francisco police officers, and a couple weeks later, April 21st, officers spotted the suspect vehicle driving on the wrong side of the road. Apparently, he drives about as well as he shoots and uh, conducted a traffic stop. Police said the driver and sole occupant of the vehicle was identified as Newt. During a search of the vehicle, police found a quote-unquote ghost gun, a uh, unserialized and untraceable AR-15-style firearm. Newt, who is a convicted felon, was taken into custody, booked on multiple charges, including possession of an assault weapon, which is illegal in California, felon in possession of a firearm, which is illegal both federally and in every state, uh, discharge in a firearm in a grossly negligent manner, as well as driving without a license. But Newt was released from jail after DA Chase of Boone's office declined to file charges and sent the case back to police. When asked why Newt wasn't charged, DA spokesperson Rachel Marshall said that prosecutors requested that police obtain DNA or fingerprint evidence before they would prosecute the case. She said, quote, this is a common request when we need additional evidence to prove a case. It speaks to the need for developing faster testing processes so that we can more quickly charge cases that require forensic evidence. You, you, you caught him driving a car. He's the only person in the car. There's a gun in the car that he's not allowed to possess. I mean, that's pretty strong evidence right there. But uh, prosecutors said, well, there are problems. A, a police report stated that the victim in the April 4th case identified the driver who was shooting as a Samoan man, which doesn't match Newt's description. Uh, the report also says the car wasn't registered to Newt. Uh, prosecutors say the firearm that police confiscated was found in a duffel bag in the back seat of the vehicle. Registered owner of the vehicle said he had sold the car, and there were reports that multiple people had access to it since. Uh, and uh, they say, well, they, we just can't prove that this gun was actually in Newt's possession without fingerprint or DNA evidence, even though it was in his possession when they took him into custody. He's in the vehicle. The gun's in the vehicle. Anyway, they let him go. And now here we are a couple weeks later, and police say that uh, Newt is responsible for two fatal shootings this past weekend in San Francisco. Here to talk about this, San Francisco resident Chris Ching, who has been uh, watching what has been going on in his city and uh, really across the state of California. Where on the one hand, you've got prosecutors like Chase Abudin who say, oh, no, it's an injustice to... Uh, uh, arrest people for these violent crimes. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then you've got lawmakers who say, you know what? We need more nonviolent gun crimes on the books. We need to make it a crime for you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about existing state law here in California. We need to make it a crime for you to go to Oregon and purchase ammunition and bring it back to the state. We need to make it a crime for you to possess a 20-round magazine. We need to make it a crime for you to possess the most commonly sold rifle in America today. We need to make it a crime for you to possess a gun without a carry license that we're not going to give you. As they are carving out and creating crimes out of our right to keep and bear arms, they are ignoring or dismissing violent criminals on a regular basis. This is an incoherent approach to public safety. Frankly, uh, I think it's a uh, an incoherent approach uh, to law enforcement in general. But I guess the I, I guess their priority is trying to crack down on legal gun ownership while giving violent criminals a pass. All right, let's talk about this with our friend Chris Ching. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Cam. Absolutely. You, 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 so I've got to ask you, I mean, having read this story uh, about this guy, Robert Newt, uh, arrested, found in possession of a uh, firearm. He's already a felon. Um, they they make the arrest. And then Chesa Budin's office says, nope, sorry, not enough evidence. Uh, we're going to let this guy go. Now he's wanted on murder charges just a few weeks after the DA decided he, they weren't going to prosecute him. Uh, you know, on these original crimes. This seems like this is a, a big problem, Chris. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you've got lawmakers in California who, I mean, they, they embrace every possible gun control restriction on legal gun owners that they can dream of. And yet you've got violent criminals that are being returned to the streets because prosecutors are refusing to do their job. It's infuriating. And you know, for the, I'm a San Francisco resident of 14 years, and I've seen the situation here just continue to deteriorate. And it's uh, unfortunately really accelerated with the election of our, our recent district attorney, Chase Abudin, who basically is you know, letting out all of these convicted criminals onto the streets. And it's become this revolving door um, where you know criminals aren't staying you know behind bars for as long as they're supposed to, they're not being prosecuted, right, or even tried sometimes, right, when there's clearly um, a, you know public outcry, right, for our district attorney to do his job, and it is it's just been extremely frustrating to see the situation in San Francisco. You know, this is a city that is my home that I I love dearly, but to see it being you know, taken over by criminals. And this most recent incident that you mentioned, um, right, with this guy, you know, running around the city, I mean, basically inflicting pain and harm, uh, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on the populace is just heartbreaking here. And the fact that Chase Abudin, who is our district attorney and has the power right, to do something about this, is opting not to do anything about it. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I, I know that you're not alone in being fed up with this. Uh, Budin is facing a a recall campaign, which I, I, I'm kind of surprised by. I mean, he, because he, he's only been in office. When was he elected, Chris? It was just a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I think it was about a year and a half ago. You know, what's shocking about the recall campaign is there's now a second recall campaign that has cropped up. Now, the first recall campaign um, you know, there's been allegations, uh, and I mean, not really allegations. I think a lot of the supporters are Republican, um, you know, backers. Uh, but but what's surprising about this second recall campaign is it's mostly Democrats who are anti-Budin, who were, um, uh, yeah, just also fed up, right? Equally fed up with Chase and Budin. So I guess uh, paradoxically, we have a bipartisan support for a Chase and Budin recall because you know, the, the crime really isn't political, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of cuts across, uh, right, the political spectrum, right? It's like, you, you know, you could be a victim of a crime. Your, your neighborhoods can, can have drug dealers and drug addicts and all sorts of other problems, um, you know, regardless of your political affiliation. And, and I'm uh, thankful to see that there's more San Franciscans waking up to the fact that Chase Abudin was one of the worst decisions that our city has ever made, and, and he never should have been elected in the first place. I'm, I'm curious, do you think that that Budin and his unwillingness to prosecute violent crime, has that made uh, some residents think twice about their opposition to things like right to carry? I mean, if the city's becoming a much more dangerous place, it seems to me like there are going to be a certain percentage of residents who say, 
you know what? I, I, I want to be able to carry a gun now for self-defense. I never really wanted other people to carry a gun, but, but now I feel threatened every time I walk out the door and I want to be able to protect myself. Is this having an impact at all? You think of the gun control debate itself in San Francisco in the Bay area? It's an interesting question. So I, I don't think there are, um, I don't think the concealed carry debate is really within the average San Franciscans mindset right now because the, the concept of concealed carrying or having a firearm, you know, concealed out in the street is a very foreign concept, right? For a lot of, uh, Bay Area residents, uh, San Franciscans included. But where I think the firearms debate is coming into play is, uh, just take it, you know, one step back from CCW and just the simple, simple question of, you know, should I own a gun? Right. For home defense, mm-hmm. that question is definitely becoming more of a common one among San Francisco residents. I'm getting questions right from friends about like, right. Hey, where do I go to get a gun? You know, what kind of gun should I buy? All those typical first time gun owner questions uh, have been you know, hitting my radar. Um, you know, I've been seeing it on, on social media and it's been you know, active discussions amongst even my personal friend group. Um, people who I never thought would be, um, you know, seriously questioning whether they should purchase a firearm for, for home defense. So, you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really difficult time. And, you know, to have a district attorney that is, uh, again, not, not, not prosecuting criminals. And I hate to say, you know, I, I have a feeling that there is a very strong racial layer and racial implication that that's happening here where, you know, um, Chase Budin's platform is very much about protecting, you know, communities of color. And of course, you know, I, I support that. Right. But, but I think what protecting communities of color does not mean is that if, a, if somebody commits a crime and they're a person of color, that doesn't mean that they get a, a free get out of jail, you know, card. It's like, it's like you, you, you aren't immune, right, to, to the laws or to, to justice just because you're a person of color. And because Chase Abunin is a white guy, right? It's like he, I think, is maybe afraid of being accused of being racist, right? <laughs> if he is prosecuting people of color. So it's just, it's right, the, the, the way that the conversation, not just in San Francisco, but I think nationally, right? Where, you know, the, the question and topic of race is so not just polarized, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's being laden with so many emotions and, Anytime, uh, you know, race gets entered into the conversation, all of a sudden someone is scared that they're going to be, you know, labeled a racist, right? If they say or do the wrong thing. And in Chase Abudin's case, right? Justice should be colorblind, right? It shouldn't matter, right? What the color of your skin is if, if, if you're committing crimes and if you're a criminal. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that race layer um, is impact is negatively impacting and negatively affecting our district attorney where he's making very very poor decisions that's putting public safety at risk yeah no i agree with you completely uh and it's not just frankly it's not just Boone in san francisco i mean it's george gascone in los angeles it is uh larry krasner in philadelphia um there are a number of these attorneys i think who are making similar decisions and we're seeing frankly, the impact in terms of the rising violent crime. And what's, what's interesting, I, and I realize that there are some folks out there who say, well, Cam, you're a rural white guy from Virginia. You shouldn't even have an opinion on this stuff anyway. But uh, but I do. Uh, and I'm going to share it. it. It seems to me like I agree, Chris, that 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 there is a disproportionate uh, impact uh, in terms of law enforcement when it comes to arrests for minor of minorities. 
But the way to, to deal with that, as you say, is not to simply uh, not prosecute, uh, you know, racial minorities who are accused of violent crimes. To me, the answer is, OK, well, let's what 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 do we really need to be a crime? Maybe we have too many laws on the books. Maybe we have too many criminal offenses here. In California, I, I think, is, you know, there's no better example of a state that creates crimes out of thin air or even better, creates crimes out of our right to keep and bear arms. So do we really need to make it a criminal offense for you to go and buy ammunition in Arizona and bring it back into California? Do we really need to make it a criminal offense uh, for you to carry a gun without a license when the average citizen can't get a license to carry? It seems to me that, you know, if we were to focus specifically on violent crimes and to focus on those most violent offenders, you could prosecutors like Budin could do their job, uh, could go after the folks who are inflicting such pain and misery on the city. Uh, and you would actually see a reduction in the total number of arrests because you're focusing on the people who are actually the problem, not trying to cast this wide net over everybody in the hopes of ensnaring a criminal here or there. Yeah, exactly. And, and right. So to try and have these, you know, create these laws that are so wide and broad where it's these drag nets, right, that are basically capturing the, the good with the bad and, you know, try, you know, and then the law enforcement uh, judicial system tries to, you know, kind of weed out the, the, the good ones later and, you know, let them, let them out. But right, it's, just, it's a bad way. It's a bad way of creating and enforcing the law. And we need to, you know, create laws that are targeting criminals, right, that are not, uh, unfairly or unjustly going after law-abiding citizens who aren't committing crimes. And ultimately, you know, I always think about how do we address the root cause of violence, right? And in the, quote, gun violence, you know, debate discussion, right? it's, it's, it's not guns that are causing crime, just, you know, it's, it's, it's very much about why are individuals resorting to violence to achieve whatever means, right, or ends that they're seeking. And, you know, the, the root causes of violence are many, you know, everything from socioeconomic status to, uh, you know, your, you know, your socioeconomic status, uh, educational opportunities, uh, job opportunities, lack of humanity, lack of community, right? So how do we really tackle these bread and butter, right, components of what makes strong and, and healthy communities uh, and, and for me, like, that's where, you know, if, if, uh, if San Francisco, you know, can continue to really invest not just, you know, money, but time into community programs, you know, after school programs, right? Because so we want to keep kids out of trouble, right? It's like, you, you got to keep them occupied with, right? Activities that are nourishing for the mind, nourishing for the body, whether that's sports or, you know, some other kind of hobby or, uh, you know, music or what have you. Um, but these are the kind of, uh, of activities and, and community programs that, you know, I'd like to see more of to try and prevent violence and crime from happening in the first place. But then, of course, when crime and violence does happen, there has to be consequences, right? There has to be personal accountability and, 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 and uh, consequences, right, that are, are, that are handed down when people are acting badly and breaking the law. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, I, I have said uh, before that I'm of the opinion that that gun control is not synonymous with gun violence prevention. When I hear people talk about gun violence prevention programs that involve, you know, violence interrupters or, you know, outreach to gang members or, as you say, even things like 
you know, after school programs or, or, or summer programs so that, you know, uh, kids as young as eight, nine, 10 years old aren't out there on the street uh, during these summer months unsupervised getting into trouble. I, I've got no problem whatsoever with those things. In fact, I, I think that's probably a I, in fact, I do think it's a better way of addressing the issue than slapping another gun control law on the books. But unfortunately, you know, I, I think a lot of politicians have trouble walking and chewing gum at the same time. I don't think they multitask very well. Uh, and as long as, you know, they can they can make their happy talk about, well, we need to invest in these programs. But at the same time, they're also trying to, I don't know, shut down gun shows in the state of California uh, or they're trying to, you know, impose uh, uh, bans on unserialized firearms. If they're creating nonviolent possessory crimes at the same time, they're complaining about over policing and over incarceration. There's a problem and there's a contradiction there that they need to address. And I can complain about it and you can complain about it. But, Chris, neither you or I are are making policy in California or in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the, the the challenge that I think a lot of politicians have is, you know, they are often, I think, both they feel obligated to have a knee jerk reaction, right, to, quote, do something, right, do something now, right, in response mm-hmm. to, you know, the latest, uh, you know, mass shooting or, or the latest, you know, crime with a, with a firearm involved. And, you know, for me, I think oftentimes, right, the firearm is, is this red herring, right? That the, right, that the firearm is not the cause, right, of the, of violent crime. Yet, right, here we go focusing on, right, banning, banning, banning whatever thing, right, that was used in the most recent, you know, firearms, uh, you know, shooting. Um, and so, you know, it, the, the I think that unfortunately politicians you know, often don't take the long view, right? They're, they're looking for a short term solution to basically say, I did something, right? And they, you know, rah, rah. And then that helps them, right? Get reelected, right? Because that reelection, as we all know, is one of the kind of the key things for a lot of politicians. Um, and so, right, taking the long view, there, there's just not as much of an incentive. Right. For a politician to take the long view on on topics because they are less likely to get rewarded or they may run out of time. Right. Uh, they may not get reelected um, you know, before they can uh, right, fully complete a, a long term solution that's sustainable, that's long lasting. And so unfortunately, right, we see these gun, gun control laws and bills uh, constantly being put you know, before uh, you know, legislatures. Uh, because it's sort of these quick wins. At least that's, I think, what a lot of uh, anti-gun politicians have in their mind. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, it's it's a do-something mentality as opposed to doing the more difficult things that, as you say, may, may be more long-term, but are actually effective and, frankly, constitutional uh, in terms of uh, fighting violent crime. So d- do you think that uh, uh, these recall campaigns against Putin are going to be successful? And And if he is ousted, do you think his replacement will be any better? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, the the I think the high level view of what's happening in California here is the uh, there's a recall campaign against Governor Newsom, mm-hmm. and right the that that recall campaign uh, recently received enough signatures to uh, you know be on the ballot later this year. So, you know, we've got this, you know, recall, um, you know, against Governor Newsom already approved and, and uh, in motion. And here in San Francisco, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that the recall will make it onto a ballot. And I think the reason is because, you know, during the pandemic, everybody has been, you know, sheltered in place, you know, working from home. And what's been happening, and I can speak to this personally, 
is that every time I walk out on the street, right, that the, the, the problems, the crime, the homelessness, the drug addicts, the drug dealers, it, it all becomes much more in, in your face, right? And it becomes more in focus, right? And, and what's different is before the pandemic, I would go to work and I'd be gone for right eight hours a day. And I didn't see all of this human misery and crime happening, you know, day in and day out. But now that I'm home all the time and, you know, if I just want to go out and stretch my legs or, you know, I like take my dog for a walk around the block, it is just, it, it's almost impossible, right, to avoid what all, just, just the, the deteriorating you know, conditions here in the city. So that doesn't bode well for Chase Abudin. Um, and so I think the recall effort will uh, have a very good chance of succeeding. Now, his replacement, what's, um, you know, in, in San Francisco politics, it's very interesting where, you know, just because uh, you are a Democrat and a, quote, liberal, uh, doesn't mean that you're qualified. And so, you know, the person who Chase Abudin beat in the most recent district attorney's race, her name is Susie Loftus, I think is her last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was accused for being uh, not liberal enough. Right. So she's a Democrat, um, but she was not liberal enough, not progressive enough. She was the, quote, conservative candidate in the DA race. Um, and, and so I think uh, she would probably be the one to, you know, run against or, you know, run and, and uh, you know, fill his slot should the recall succeed. And, um, you know, frankly, like, you know, uh, I, I'm not a liberal, I'm not a Democrat, but uh, I hope Susie, you know, Loftus makes her way. Um, you know, back into the fray because at least she has a record of prosecuting criminals, right? And uh, very publicly stating uh, right, that she wants to go after, uh, right, go after people breaking the law. And, you know, uh, race is not uh, as like as strong of a consideration, right, for, for her as it is for Chase Abudin, where, right, again, he's I have a sense he's he's letting criminals go just because they're a person of color, and again, like I think that's just it's 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 just mind-boggling, right, and just jaw-dropping, right, that uh, we're just seeing criminals uh, go free, and then they come around to commit more crimes, more people are, are getting hurt and injured and, and killed, right, as we're as we're seeing this past uh, weekend here in San Francisco. It's it's just a shame. It, it is a shame. I mean, again, there is a human cost to this uh, and it's playing out every day on the the city streets. Um, listen, one more question before we let you go here, Chris. You know, you mentioned uh, we're all sort of emerging from lockdown now. Uh, are you going to get the opportunity to to get out and uh, do some shooting? You got to be entering any competitions this summer. Can we see you anywhere? Yeah, great question. So, uh, yeah, I, I, as with, you know, most of the people in our country are so excited to, you know, start getting back to a, a normal routine. And, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, my, uh, my travels are, are mostly about Second Amendment advocacy. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, less about, you know, shooting guns and having a good time. Although I do look forward to the next opportunity to, to do that with you or, you know, our other friends and colleagues, you know, out across uh, the country. So, um, yeah, it's I'm really excited to you know start uh, seeing all of our uh, you know Second Amendment advocates and supporters in person because you know there just isn't any replacement uh, than to see people in person and obviously when it comes to shooting guns you can't shoot guns virtually it's definitely a thing that if you uh, need and want to practice and uh, sharpen your skill set it it just has to be done in person so I look forward to uh, yeah seeing 
more new shooters, right? Eight million new shooters last year. You know, uh, we're on pace to possibly break that record in, in 2021. Uh, and all those new shooters are, uh, you know, people who I love interfacing and interacting with. So I'm very much looking forward to that later this year. Fantastic. Well, listen, man, if your travels take you to the East Coast, uh, specifically maybe the Mid-Atlantic, let me know. Because I would love to catch up with you in person. It's been way too long. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. It's always good talking with you. Likewise. Yeah, I'll definitely hit you up next time I'm in your head. Excellent. Chris Chang joining us here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I really appreciate that Chris spending some time here on the show today. Look forward to having him back again very soon. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day. Uh, as well as our recidivist report. Yep, even though we were just talking about uh, one of these cases out of California, sadly, there are no shortage of these stories to be found. This one actually from Idaho, where you might not expect a, a, a headline like this. Woman sentenced for shooting when uh, Child Protective Services and deputies showed at her home. Well, all right, so she was sentenced. Maybe that's not going to, you know, boggle your mind being out of uh, Idaho. How about sentenced to probation? I mean, that to me is kind of mind boggling. A Fremont County probation or excuse me, a Fremont County woman uh, received a short jail sentence in probation for firing a gun when a deputy and child protective service workers showed up at her home last year. 40 year old Valerie Rosser ordered to spend a total of four days in the county jail. Four. And be on probation for a year. Yeah. Now, she could be sentenced to an additional year in jail if she violates the terms of his probation. Uh, back on uh, May the 5th, Rosser entered a plea agreement with Fremont County prosecutors that stipulated she plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge of resisting arrest and disturbing the peace. In exchange, prosecutors dropped two felony aggravated battery charges against certain personnel, uh, as well as two felony injury to a child charges. So prosecutors, again, they dropped four felony charges allowed her to plead guilty to two misdemeanors. She got four days in jail and then a year's probation. This took place, the incident took place back in December when a sheriff's deputy accompanied two uh, Idaho Department of Health and Welfare caseworkers to Rosser's home. When they arrived there, Rosser reportedly refused to cooperate with authorities. She demanded that police leave and then went back inside her house. Uh, investigators had initially been called out to the home to look into a report of an alleged fight between her and a child. Uh, that began in a nearby town of uh, Rexburg. Deputy knocked on the front door to try to get the child out of the home. As the child opened the door, Rosser is alleged to have fired a handgun four to five times. The deputy then pulled her own gun as the CPS workers helped the child get away from the home. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say about this. I, again, I, I'm I'm all in favor of taking nonviolent offenses off of the books. Let's focus on what we, you know, look, we got a finite number of law enforcement. We got a finite number of prosecutors. We got a finite number of jail cells. So, so let's figure out what our priorities are. And if, again, I, I don't think a, you know, possession of a large capacity magazine or possession of a so-called assault rifle should be a crime at all. I think that's your second amendment right to own these things. But if we're letting people go for crimes like this, I've got a real problem with that. I, I I hope that this was just a really bad day for Miss Rosser uh, and that she is able to uh, complete her probation and we never hear from her again. But, man, four days in jail for firing repeatedly at a sheriff's deputy and child protective workers? Uh, that, to me, is just absolutely mind-boggling. All right, today's Armed Citizen story from uh, Newport News, Virginia. 
where a armed citizen in the right place at the right time wasn't able to do the right thing to help police subdue a suspect who had fired at them. Uh, authorities in uh, James City County, I know it's really confusing. We've got a county called James City County in Virginia, but we do. And there were officers uh, who were trying to serve a fugitive with outstanding warrants there in James City County uh, Tuesday of this week. Uh, 22-year-old Destin Coward. And they get to the apartment complex where, where he's staying. And instead of cooperating with authorities, by the way, he was wanted on a probation violation and grand larceny charges. Given, again, the soft on crime approach that Virginia Democrats have taken over the past couple of years, if this guy had simply gone into custody with the officers, he would have gotten a slap on the wrist. He would have been out in no time. But uh, the uh, coward of uh, James City County instead took off running and then fired several shots at police officers. Uh, There was a bystander, a concealed carry holder in the state of Virginia, who confronted Coward, which, according to WTKR, gave officers enough time to get to him to take him into custody. Uh, Chief Drew, uh, Chief uh, Steve Drew of the uh, Newport News Police Department, said that the situation could have been much worse if not for the actions of this armed citizen. He said, quote, he was able to hold him and detain him for a brief second as officers made it up the embankment and took Mr. Coward into custody. I really want to thank the young man that did engage him and assisted the police today. He did an amazing job. I am so glad to see the uh, police recognition for this armed citizen. By the way, Coward, who again was facing a uh, warrant on grand larceny charges as well as a probation violation. Uh, something that likely would have returned him to the streets in a matter of days. Yeah, now he's facing attempted capital murder, use of a firearm in the commission of a felony, as well as possession of a firearm by a felon, which had this happened in San Francisco, I'm sure Mr. Coward would probably be getting the key to the city from uh, Chase Abudin right now. But uh, nope, in Virginia, um, he is still likely to at least face some time behind bars for those alleged crimes. All right, finally today, uh, also from Virginia, Gloucester County. Now, I'll be honest with you. I know the headline says, Video Captures Hero Cop Single-Handedly Lift Overturned Car Off Woman to Save Her Life. I don't have the video for you. And to be honest, the, the video itself is fairly underwhelming because it's a body cam, so you can't actually see anything as the officer is pushing this car because he's up against the car, so the body cam is not actually capturing any video. Uh, but the story itself is... Absolutely amazing. Uh, This happened uh, May the 7th. Deputy John Holt responding to a call of an overturned vehicle with uh, somebody trapped. He said um, uh, the Gloucester County Sheriff's Office said the driver was laying underneath the vehicle with her head pinned by the sunroof. Uh, Seeing the trauma that her child was witnessing, Deputy Holt went into overdrive and he actually lifted up the car enough so that she could extricate herself. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Officer Holt, uh, uh, through sheer will and determination, according to the uh, Gloucester Sheriff, due to fearing the female may succumb to her circumstances in front of her panic-stricken child, took quick action and was able to physically lift the vehicle up enough for the driver to maneuver her head out to safety. Uh, According to the Sheriff, this is not, by the way, the first time that Officer Holt has been hailed as a hero. Three months ago, he was given the Top Cop Award Uh, For the region that serves uh, Chesapeake, Hampton, James City County, Newport News, Norfolk, Pocosin, Portsmouth, Suffolk, Virginia Beach, Williamsburg, York, Gloucester, Isle of Wight, Smithfield, and Windsor counties. Uh, That was uh, uh, given to him by the Greater Hampton Roads Regional Crime Line. 
after he saved the lives of two individuals from a burning home back on March 24th of 2020. So, officer, excuse me, Deputy John Holt uh, with the Gloucester County Sheriff's Department repeatedly in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. We thank you, sir, for your many good deeds. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. I also want to remind you that you can become a VIP subscriber to BearingArms.com. That way you'll get exclusive analysis, commentary, and more. And you will support the work that we do here each and every day, uh, protecting, defending, and informing you of uh, the threats to your right to keep and bear arms. All you got to do is go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS, and you can get 25% off of your membership. Uh, this is going to be the last program of the week. As you know, we take Fridays off so we can uh, uh, do a lot of writing for Friday and the uh, weekend on the website, bearingarms.com. We'll see you back here on Monday with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But don't forget to check out the website throughout the weekend. We will be posting fresh content uh, all weekend long. Hope that you have a fantastic weekend. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free.